0: Welcome back to Conversations with Lilaby. Season two is coming to an end. What a blur 2021 was. Worry not, we still have one more episode for you. But if you haven't caught up on the last few episodes, you can do that after this one. Get ready to sit back and join the conversation. Meet Ndulwa, the host of Dear Diaspora podcast, a Princeton African fellow, and self-described Afro-optimist. Welcome to Conversations with Leela Bindulwa. How are you?
1: Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. Um, Just, you know, the end of the year is, you know, getting closer. So trying to relax, but then also get a bunch of stuff done.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm sure. I know everyone is like,
1: end
0: of the year
2: have you met your goals and other people like put so much pressure on it I'm just happy like it's still we still have time to achieve new goals we still have time to square other things off and I think for a year that's been a little bit up and down for me I feel very positive about the way that it's going
1: to end awesome I'm happy to hear that for you um, and and likewise I'm not um... I try and ignore, you know, when people say stuff like that, where it's like, you have 60 days left, you know, and they're just <laughs> making you panic a little bit. Um, I try my best to resist and just ignore those because it's it's not realistic, you know, we still have time. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: All right, well, let's get into our conversation today. But first, I want to kick it off with. Can you give me like four words that your friends and family would use to describe you?
1: Wow. Um, Yes, that's a great question. Um, Four words that they would use to describe me. Um, I would say ambitious, number one. Um, Focused, number two um is empathic the right way to say it empathic yes yes empathic um
0: last one
1: adventurous
0: ooh
2: okay so those like all almost go together i mean being ambitious being focused Like, where where do you actually feel like you got your ambition from? Is it something that you developed by yourself? Or is it something you saw, like, in your family emulated?
1: Mm, Another really good question. Um, I would say just watching my mom, um, you know, she, you know, we, um, I live in the U.S. And she moved to the U.S. first. Um, when she was about 30 and essentially just started her life over um, in effort to make our lives better. And so just, I think, seeing that example of someone, you know, making a huge sacrifice, um, starting over, um, doing whatever, you know, doing whatever it takes to provide um, for her family, I think just... Was always just that example for me that showed me, um, you know, that you gotta you gotta work hard for the things that you want, and if you want to live a certain type of lifestyle, um, you're gonna have to put in the work essentially. So I think watching my mom um, over the years has really inspired me.
2: Oh, that's beautiful. So speaking of your mom. Um, maybe for people who are unfamiliar with you tell me a little bit about your childhood and how you grew up
1: yeah yeah um let's see so I was born in Lusaka Zambia um the first five years of my life I lived in Kawata actually um so Kawata like I don't remember the exact name of the street um but it wasn't too far from the market, so um, yeah, I grew up there. And you know, in two thousand, my mom um, made you know that big decision to you know move to the U.S. Um, you know, seeking greener pastures. Um, so while she when she moved, um, we stayed with my grandmother. Um, so the next five years of my life were spent in Olympia Park. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really had a really just nice upbringing. Um, my grandmother, um, has a big heart and she, you know, for five years, um, you know, took us in, uh, almost as if we were, I mean, obviously we're her grandchildren, but, you know, almost as if we were her, her own children. Um, and mm. she was very open and, um. Even though you know she had grown adult children, like I know some grandparents wouldn't be necessarily too excited to kind of have to start over with like little children um, because I was I was five and my brother was three. So it's kind of a lot, you know, to to take on. Um, yeah. but she stepped up. Um, she was, you know, super, super caring, and she really helped kind of shape us and um, instilled a lot of, you know, the values that we, um, yeah, the values that we have. And yeah, growing up in Olympia Park was great. Um, let's see, I went to like Our ladies primary school. Um, so that was awesome. And I made some of my, my best friends that I'm still in touch with today. Um Yeah, so really good childhood, surrounded by family,. Um, so like so fast forward to
2: what age do you actually also move to the US?
1: Yeah, so I was 10 when I moved to the US. Um, I moved to Omaha, Nebraska, the most... Midwestern- oh wow. Yeah, the most Midwestern, um, kind of, you know, plain vanilla type of place. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I started school when I got here, uh, sixth grade. Um, I had jumped to the sixth grade because I had finished most of like grade five back home. And so I took whatever entrance exams were required and they were like, oh, you could just, you know, go on to grade six. Um, so I started grade six. Um, and it was interesting because, you know, a lot of the the kids hadn't been exposed to anyone, you know, from Africa. <laughs> and yeah. So it's like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, they were very, um, I mean, most were very kind, very curious, um, welcoming um I remember one was like, yeah, like, we, we've been super excited. We just heard that this girl is coming from Zimbabwe. <laughs> and oh, I was wow. like, oh, not from Zimbabwe, from Zambia, but sure. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, all the questions that, you know, the typical immigrant gets asked, like, oh, did you, did you have lions? you know, as pets? Um, how did you learn English? that's um, my know? favorite
2: one? Like, <laughs> did you learn English? Well, the colonizers might have helped.
1: <laughs> Man, that part. Um, yeah, so I, I would get questions like that all the time. Um, and it was just a, an interesting transition because I was... Growing up, I was a very... Um, I'd say I was shy, but still kind of outgoing. Like I, you know, I loved to perform at like, you know, like how in Zambia you have like those Christmas presentations or end of year little celebrations or. Um, yeah. Like I would always be like performing with my friends and dancing and, you know, singing like all this stuff. Like I was just one of those kids like, you know, I, li- I love to just put myself out there. Um, but as soon as I got to the U.S., I just wanted to, like, I just wanted to hide, essentially. Like, I just wanted to, like, not be visible um, because I was so different from the rest of the kids, essentially. Um, and I just didn't want to stand out in that way um, because I, I understood that I was so different. And so I, yeah, I was kind of closed off. Um, very, very kind of timid. And looking back, I'm just like, why? Like, you know, that that really wasn't me. But I think that was my way of kind of like protecting myself as I adjusted to this new life, essentially.
2: I mean, I was gonna say it was you protecting yourself because you, you are already different. And you're someone who's new, intriguing, People are asking questions, making assumptions. There's enough of like a spotlight on you where you kind of just don't want to attract any more attention. It's almost like, oh, gosh, I wish I could just be like everyone else. I wish I just could blend into the background or something. So I can totally relate to that, like sort of feeling like the other. And despite whether or not people are being nice about it and being lovely about it, you just, when you're that young, you kind of just want to be like everyone else. You don't want to be special. You don't want your teachers to treat you differently or your friends to treat you differently. You just kind of want to be the same as everyone else.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, I think the older you get, the more you realize like, you know, being different is actually cool. Um, But when you're younger, you know, when you're 10 years old, you're just like, no, I just I just want friends. I just want to I want to fit in. Um, And so that was like my focus, you know, my first few years um, when I got to the U.S. But yeah, it was a good time. You know, I'm I made some good friends um, eventually, Um, though I did have I always remember I did have this one bully um, in sixth grade. um and she was like so we were supposed to be sharing like lockers and she would just like she would remove my stuff from the locker and just like leave it outside um (laughs) and I don't know why she was doing that she just had this like I don't know I think it was ignorance or maybe even racism um yeah yeah we eventually like addressed it um but, you know, she'd, like, call me names, like, Bubble Butt, I remember. She was like...
0: Oh, no! You were a baby!
1: I'm like, imagine! Imagine! Yeah, she would call me Bubble Butt. And, I mean, I I wasn't even phased. Like, it's not like I was one of those, like, oh, my God, like, now I'm going to cry. Or, you know, I just was like, okay, like, why are you, like, why are you calling me Bubble Butt? Like, there's nothing wrong with having a little booty, like, you know... <laughs> Like, I'm so normal. glad for you,
2: for little you that you thought that was normal and that you didn't take it in a bad way. I mean, anyway, when you look at it now, fast forward to these days, everybody wants a bubble butt. Everyone's trying to get African features, so <laughs> exactly.
1: she, she might have even
2: gotten a bubble butt by now. We don't.
1: Right. Right. Um, yeah. So I always think back and laugh. I'm just like, that was just so ridiculous. Um, yeah, it, she thought it was an insult, but I was like, all right, girl, you're, you're just a bit weird. Um, but yeah, besides that, you know, it was it was fun um, kind of, you know, getting to adjust to my new life um, in the US. That's, so
2: that's so interesting that like that was your reaction, even though you also like didn't necessarily want to be like center of attention and stuff. Like, to me, it speaks to someone who had already formed a, a a nice sort of clear picture of, like, their identity. Like, you were kind of just comfortable in your own skin and who you were. And I think that's incredible because you were, like, 10 years old. I don't know that I had that until <laughs> until recently. Let's just put it that way.
1: <laughs> Man, I mean... I hope that was the case, but, um, I mean, I did struggle a little bit, um, because I remember specifically, you know, trying my best to hide my accent. Um, and so it's Mm. like, it, it varied or it wasn't like, I wasn't 100% there. Like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm so sure of myself. I'm so proud of my culture, where I'm from, um, there were a few things where you know like if someone maybe said something ignorant about you know africa like you know i've always been a little opinionated even though i'm i was really shy i i still never enjoyed people just being completely just completely ignorant um So, yeah, I always spoke up, but, you know, there were moments where I just was like, oh, like, you know, I don't I don't want to sound like too zombian, you know. So then it's like I'm kind of forcing myself to say certain words differently. I do remember that. Um, Mm. Yeah. So I think there's, you know, I wasn't perfect. And I think that's like most kids, you know, just trying to fit in.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the story of most immigrant kids, even third culture kids, not really feeling like you completely fit in, people making fun of the way you say certain words or whatever, or you just being so conscious that you don't sound like other people and trying to like make up for it just so that it becomes less of a conversation or like, you know, your identity isn't so questioned, if I can say that. But that's exactly. very interesting. Um, and so you identify, or at least there, there's a statement that exists out there in the ether that you are an Afro-optimist. What does that mean to you?
1: Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I identify as an Afro-optimist, um, essentially because I, I believe Africa has a bright future. Um, despite, you know, some of our challenges, I think we are able to um, overcome them um, with really just uh, a collective effort to be, you know, innovative, um, support each other, um, you know, embrace our culture. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think we have a bright future ahead. And I think that stands in contrast to a lot of people who are more skeptics or, um, or just pessimistic, you know, like there's some people who get very, um, they're just kind of over it or they're very jaded and just like, ah, oh, there's no hope. Everything's so frustrating. Nothing's getting done. You know, there's some people who look at things that way. Um, and I understand where that's coming from. Um, but because I'm, you know, I, I still have family. <laughs> in Zambia, for instance, you know, my little cousins, my grandmother, you know, I have friends back home. It's, I feel for me, it's like imperative to, to think optimistically, because if not, like, what am I saying about, you know, the future of like my little cousins and stuff? Like, you know, who wants to Mm. say, oh, your, your future isn't bright, (laughs) or things won't get better? Uh, Like, what's the point?
2: Yeah, well, I think that's a beautiful sentiment and a beautiful way, Um, you know, millennials and, and even people younger than mill- millennials. Is that Gen Z? Sorry, I forget these things. <laughs> okay. I think there is a beautiful sort of celebration of self and not just as young Africans and being Afro-optimists, but just around the world, like people sort of really kind of feeling like positive about where they're going. I mean, I know in Zambia, you obviously, you know, we had the election recently and people were very, older generations were very skeptical. Oh, there's no way that the current government's going to get voted out of power. And the youth were just like, nah, we're showing up, we're showing out, we're going to vote. And they succeeded in, in the goal that they wanted in terms of getting new leadership. And I think, you know those are things that just add more to like our optimism and and make us feel like you know we're able to make change and 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 th- positive change and positive impact
1: absolutely absolutely um yeah i mean i was following the elections closely and you know i also just had this feeling that you know people were just were fed up and wanted you know something better um And so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy, you know, things turned out the way they did. And um, again, I'm hopeful for the future, Um, but I'm just, I'm thinking, I'm always thinking through like, you know, what, like, are people just kind of relaxed now or are people demanding, (laughs) (laughs) you know, are people demanding more, you know, from this new administration, like, I feel like sometimes, you know, after elections, it's like people just kind of go back to business as usual. Um, oh
2: yes, no, we can we can tend to be complacent. I think even a comparison, like even I think in in America, people fought so hard, or the people who didn't want Trump in office anymore fought so hard for that, and then it's like you you breathe it. And I mean, that was also that much like Zambia came with its own PTSD that presidency. So I think when people finally were able to get someone else in power, it's also like, oh, can be the sigh of relief. And it's almost like, okay, can I take a break politically? <laughs> but it's like, mm, no, we still need to hold people accountable. That's we still thing. need to keep our eye on the prize, you know? We voted someone in, but let's not forget they work for us. So let's make sure that, you know, we're holding them accountable. Let's make sure that we're communicating with them that if they're not doing a good job, or if, when they are doing a good job.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's a universal thing. Because um, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, yes, we're citizens um, of our respective countries, but, you know, we're not politicians, like, yes, we can speak up, and we can protest, and we can, you know, advocate for different things, get in touch with, you know, lawmakers, but our hope is that the people that are actually elected are doing what they're supposed to be doing. (laughs) Um, so I think it gets really frustrating, um, and a little bit overwhelming, um, whether you, you know, you're in the U S or you're, you know, in Zambia, it's like, it's like constantly there's just something happening and you're just like, Oh Lord, like what now? You know, (laughs) what now, what are we protesting about now? Or what do we need to you know, rally uh, for now? Um, but I guess that's just a part of, of life and being you know, kind of plugged into to what's happening around you. Um, but it's necessary.
2: It's very necessary. And speaking of something that's necessary or you know, that you clearly found necessary was starting your podcast, which is Dear Diaspora. And what made you want to start this podcast?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Dear Diaspora. It's been two years now. Um, I, I started it um, after I actually was done with, like, my master's. Um, like, I got an MBA. And I've always just been curious about everything. And I, and I love learning. And... You know, though I learned a lot about business, you know, through the program, I was like, I want to learn about Africa. Like, you know, um, I had like, you know, certain international um, development courses or international business courses. um, But obviously, you know, given the curriculum was US based, um, there was very little African content, if any. Um, And so I was was just curious and I was like, okay, like, I want to learn what's it like to, you know, build a business in Africa. Or, you know, if you are an African based somewhere else in the world, what's it like, you know, for those folks trying to start businesses. Um, And I was also just curious about, you know, given, you know, a lot of the challenges that, you know, African countries are facing, I was curious to see if business could play a role in, I guess, solving certain issues or problems. And so, yeah, it was mainly out of curiosity. Um, I wanted to talk to people, connect with people, uh, learn their stories, um, yeah, and then just go from there. Uh, So yeah, I launched the podcast in September of 2019 and, you know, uh, started interviewing like really cool entrepreneurs, innovators, um, change makers, so it wasn't just people building like you know for profit, um, you know businesses. I had some you know not not for profit um, uh, ventures, you know spotlighted too. So it was it was really cool. Um, and so now we are, it's over. Yeah, I'm over fifty episodes in, and and now the podcast wow. is. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And now the podcast, I'm going a bit more broad and not really focused on just business alone. Like I'm, I'm creating space for different sorts of conversations. Um, Like this season, we, you know, I just recently did like an African music focused episode. um,
2: I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Like what, what made you think of doing that?
1: Well, I mean, especially living, you know, in the diaspora or um, or being a part of the diaspora, I mean, and, you know, craving, um, craving, you know, anything that has to do with like culture and um, being able to listen to a lot of, uh, you know, Afrobeats artists. Um, I thought it would be like a really cool episode to just explore like, you know, over these past, let's say five to 10 years, just how we are luckily able to listen to, to more and more African music, more and more Afrobeats mm-hmm. and different genres. It's like, you know, essentially African music is, is going mainstream, you know, like you're seeing a lot of, um, you know, new people or Americans even listening to like WizKid and Boy and artists like that. So I think it's just like an interesting time and I wanted to kind of discuss it. And um, I guess my curiosity was like, okay, what exactly has led to a lot of these artists being able to be more mainstream um, as far as like the US goes. And so, um, yeah, that's what the episode was focused on. And it was really cool. And like the biggest thing that I learned is you know especially when it comes to Nigerian music it's like the Nigerian diaspora has played a huge role (laughs) essentially you know because they um they have the numbers first of all like there's I don't know how many exactly but I believe it's like millions (laughs) there are millions of Nigerians outside of Nigeria who yeah they crave they crave you know that music and they've intentionally requested to hear more and more of that music on like, you know, different radio stations or, you know, you know, from different DJs. And, um, and then the internet, of course, you know, um, making it so super easy to follow your favorite artists, um, stream their music, things like that. Um, And so it's just interesting to think like, wow, like, that's actually really powerful. um, The fact that you know your your country's diaspora can play that big of a role in like um you know kind of opening you up to new um to new audiences or to new listeners yeah yeah
2: no totally because I think for me even when I've lived outside of uh, the African continent I just remember like feeling like I knew so much more of, like, Nigerian music. It was that whole movement of, like, Niger to the world. Like, they really do, like, represent in that way. And I know, like, recently I've been seeing on social media a lot of, like, Piano like, in the UK, all these sort of, like, takeovers and South African DJs and performers getting, you know, that sort of shine and and gigging and doing concerts. And and so I feel like, you know, I mean, we're we're definitely – all behind Nigeria in terms of like the number of years that they've had getting their music out there. But I think it's interesting more and more to see like that people aren't just so focused and thinking like Afrobeats is only Nigerian and they're getting to know different kinds of music, whether it's from Zimbabwe, Zambia, South Africa, wherever it's from, Kenya. And I think it's it's slowly getting... That sort of attention and recognition that it definitely deserves because it is top tier music, in my opinion.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, I'm loving, you know, hearing or at least seeing more people listening to different genres and music from different regions. Um, you know, like you know the Amapiano piano sounds, and um, I think it's just interesting to see. Also, just what role, like, social media plays in all of that, because it's, like, you know, the more, you know, let's say TikToks you watch or the more little Instagram videos you watch, you know, featuring that music, you're, like, oh, like, this sounds really cool. Where's this from? And then it's, like, Mm -hmm. that's how things just go viral, um, I guess, these days. So, um yeah, yeah. I mean, like,
2: look at Jerusalem. I went like all over the world. Oh my gosh, that song yes. like was hot for like two years, and I was like, okay, we get it. I mean, I still love the song. Every time it comes on, I want to dance. But I definitely saw a lot of TikToks, reels, whatever you want to call them.
1: Yes, yes. So it's like, yeah, the world is like you know, it's it's huge, obviously, but then it's getting kind of smaller and smaller through the internet. So. Um, I love to see it, and I'm excited again for the future because I want to, yeah, I want to be able to listen to even more, you know, artists from different parts of the continent. So, um, yeah, I think music especially has a, a bright future, um, African music, yeah.
2: Oh, yes,
0: yeah, so... What what
2: kind of responses have you gotten from your podcast in terms of maybe letting people know something different about different Africans in different countries or maybe challenging some of the narratives that people are familiar with or believe to be true?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've gotten um, really good feedback, I would say. Um, a lot of people who, you know, who listen or, you know, actually go out of their way to to comment or send me a message are just like, wow, like, this is so necessary. Keep going, um, you know, and, you know, sometimes people are even like, oh, my gosh, you need to have way more, <laughs> way more subscribers or way more way more followers like more people should be listening to this um and so I'm like I know <laughs> um, so it's um yeah really good responses and with podcasts it's sometimes it's um it's a little difficult I'm sure you know to get you know let's say real-time feedback or responses to some of your content um because you know people would have to like maybe leave a review Um, You know, sometimes people leave maybe YouTube comments, Um, but most of the actual um, responses I actually get to see are from, like, my social media posts uh, covering certain African topics. Um, Some, you know, that I've actually also covered on the podcast or some that are just kind of, you know, separate, and I just felt like um, kind of sharing more about them. Um, people are, you know, are are engaged, people want to learn more about Africa and kind of understand, um, why we're in the position that we are today. So I'd say overall, the, um, response has been positive and, um, I'm happy to, you know, start necessary conversations or continue, continue necessary conversations, um, because these are things that we should all be at least caring about or curious about.
2: Yeah, and I think it's amazing that now we all have access to such platforms as podcasting or such media forms where we get to tell not only our stories, but the stories of others and sort of just let people in on different parts of the world, different ways of living, I think it's like so informative, like so many people can access it and just learn something new or change their perspective. And it's such a powerful medium.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, you'll find that a lot of, you know, like when you're just searching for Africa focused um, content or uh, even podcasts, a lot of times it's coming from people that aren't African, you know, and sometimes it's like, you know, whatever they share, you got to take with a, a grain of salt, or you got to kind of take the extra steps to really investigate, like, okay, why is this being said this way? Is this actually accurate? Mm. Is there some bias here? Like, you know, I'd rather, um, on a lot of certain, you know, topics, I'd rather hear from someone who's actually from the community versus, um, you know, how a lot of media is still run by um, non-Africans or, or non-Black people.
2: Yeah, that's so true and very important to, like, sort of have that discernment. So, Nduluwa, I want to know a little bit. I want to know a little bit more about what you actually do on your day-to-day outside of your podcast. So like professionally, what do you actually do?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, happy to answer that. So um, first, like my full-time gig, um, I'm a Princeton and Africa fellow. So this is something I started in July um, of this year. And essentially, it's like a A year-long fellowship um, where, you know, like recent college graduates and like young professionals are placed or partnered with an organization based in Africa. And the point of the program is to essentially, um, you know, first you're learning from the organization. Um, If you have some sort of interest in you know, building a career in quote-unquote African development. It's basically to give you exposure um, to that. You learn from the organization. You contribute to the organization in whatever capacity you can um, for a year. And then um, from then on, you know, you you make a decision about, you know, what you want to do, whether you want to stay with the organization or maybe you – want to move on and and do something else, you know, on the continent. Um, So it's, like, a really cool opportunity. Um, Yeah, so I'm doing this until July next year, and I was placed with an organization based in Accra, Ghana, called Emerging Public Leaders. And so their program is also a fellowship program that places a recent... Uh, Ghanaian university graduates into public service positions at various government ministries. Um, So what they're essentially trying to do is um, make, make public service more of a, more of a, like a meritocracy if I'm saying that correctly. So it's like, you know, they pick the best and the brightest and, um that's how you know these their fellows are selected to be placed in those ministries and it's not like you know how we typically think of how people get involved in government like you know through connections or you know through maybe their uncle works at this one department and then they're like oh yeah you can come work um so they're trying Mm. to yeah so they're trying to it's based on merit yeah instead Exactly, exactly. So um, I'm learning a lot from it. um, And it's not, it's not something that I, I thought I'd be doing. um, Like the whole, like the, the more of the focus on the public sector, um, because I've, you know, my background is kind of like in business. And so I've kind of been trying to explore maybe that route a bit more. But then when I learned about the organization, um, I thought it would be great to kind of expand and learn more about, I guess, yeah, the public sector a bit more and just how influential it is. And I've come to learn that it's it's, it's literally everything because, you know, they're, they're the ones in charge of implementing policies. And so if they aren't doing what they need to be doing or if they're not working at um, efficiently, people people suffer. Essentially, you know, because, um, yeah, we need we need good public policy. We need people that are actually effectively uh, governing and um, effectively, you know, delivering services um, that people need. So, um, it's actually changed my, um, or it's it's broadened my, um, I guess my. Perspective a little bit. So, um, yeah, I've enjoyed it. So that's what I do during the day. I was supposed to be in Ghana for a year, but then because of COVID, um, unfortunately, I'm still in the US and I'm doing it remotely. Um, I will have an opportunity to go to Ghana next month um, for about a month to begin with. Um, But then Beyond that, um, I'm not sure that I'll be able to um, stay that for that long.
2: Bringing it back to Zambia, you were here a little while ago for a visit. And what was that like for you? Because I'm sure you've come for short visits and this time an unfortunate sequence of events meant that you stayed on for a few months but what was that like now being an adult and being in Zambia
1: yeah yeah um, yeah I got to spend four months in Zambia earlier this year and you know it was really eye opening I would say and I felt like I got to experience um, the real version of, of Zambia, um, in comparison to past visits where I would stay maybe like a month at the most, um, it's like, you know, when you stay for a month, it's like, you know, it goes by super quickly, you're just kind of, before you know it, you know, the the trip is over, um, so being in Zambia earlier this year, especially given, you know, the pandemic, um, it's, like, the pace was just a bit slower than usual. Um, and so I feel like I got to really, really, like, actually experience the country and, you know, um, really process kind of what was happening around me versus just having, like, kind of a whirlwind type of trip like I used to or like I've had in the past. Um mm. Yeah. So it was, it was really interesting. Um, I got to connect with, you know, um, friends and a few family members Um, because of COVID again, it's like, you know, we weren't really like, usually we'll do like this giant party, you know, like a giant family reunion type of situation. Um, But because of, again, I keep saying it, but because of COVID, um, things were different, you know, you weren't having, the big parties. And so I didn't get to see everyone, unfortunately. Um, but um, other than that, you know, I got to, um, I got to work from Zambia. Um, so I was still doing my social media consulting gig uh, while I was in Zambia. So that was really interesting um, navigating working <laughs> Um, from Zambia and, um, you know, I, I made it work, you know, I got my, um, my Zamtel, you know, hotspot, um, and it was mostly reliable. So I was thankful for that. Um, but there were times where, you know, I would have to like rush and, you know, go to like the nearest, uh, either coffee shop or restaurant or, or someplace, um, with Wi um. So that was always an adventure, Um, but it kind of opened my mind up to like, oh, like, you know, this is like, this is possible, essentially, like you can be in Zambia or you can be in an African country and work um, for like, let's say a foreign company remotely, like it's possible. And so although that doesn't apply to everyone, like, you know, not everyone's going to be doing that. I just, I just thought it was cool to think like, okay, like something like this is possible. Um, and yeah, like it, it ended up working really well. Um, and so I remember one of my podcast guests, um, uh, he's like this serial entrepreneur from Nigeria. He was like, You know, like, if you really are that type of person that's like, oh, I want to, I want to somehow contribute to, you know, my country's growth and development, um, he's like, just go. Like, just go to your country. Just go back home. Spend a significant amount of time there. um, And just immerse yourself back into your culture. um, Because it's kind of hard to figure out, like, okay, what do I want to do? Or this is what I want to do when you're living outside of your country, you know? And so he yeah, like, there's a
2: bit of a disconnect. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so I remember him saying like, just go like if now that everyone's working remotely, if you have the means to, or if, you know, if your work is flexible, like just go. And it's not like I went for that purpose. Like I went more for family, but I was constantly thinking of that too. Like, Oh, like this makes sense. Um, Like, just, yeah, being back home, um, connecting with family, connecting with friends, learning about different opportunities, like, actually in the country, like, (laughs) makes the most sense to me. And so um, I guess it just kind of got my mind going about, like, you know, future opportunities or maybe future, maybe businesses I'd be interested in starting. Um, I kind of got to see, like, okay, this could be feasible or this could not be feasible, Um, so I'm thankful I got to spend that much time there.
2: Oh, and that's amazing, which brings me to my sort of last question, which is now we've talked a little bit about the future. Where do you see yourself in the next couple of years? What is your vision for your life look like? Oh, my. (laughs) It doesn't have to be career oriented, but like. Where, when you close your eyes, what do you see for yourself? Is it filled with family? Is it filled with travel, friends?
1: Mm, mm. That's such a good question. Um, funny enough, me and uh, one of my good friends were having like a virtual, um, like twenty twenty two, like vision boarding. Ooh, kind vision of session. boarding. I love that. Yes, yes. So we're probably not doing actual like physical boards, but it's more like just thinking through like, okay, what do we want 2022 to look like? Um, Mm. But in the next couple years, um, I am leaning towards trying, let me not say it that way. I'm leaning towards launching some sort of business that would allow me to work for myself um, and allow me the flexibility to travel and work from anywhere. Um, I think at least in the next, like before I'm 30, I would love to be able to, um, yeah, just explore the world <laughs> and, you know, uh I want to give myself the space um, to um, think of what's possible. Like, I don't want to limit myself or, or box myself into like, oh, I'm just going to settle into this one role at this one corporation or whatever. Like, I want to kind of explore. Like, that's like the, the season that I'm in. And so that's kind of hard to do if you're like, let's say, a full-time employee at like some place and you, you're not allowed to, let's say, work remotely. Um, so I think entrepreneurship is going to give me that freedom and flexibility that I'm looking for these next few years. And so my, I guess, what I'm thinking through is just what exactly I'm going to do. Um, because I'd love to just focus on one thing that would be able to sustain me versus I'm just trying to to step away from the whole hustle mentality where it's like oh I've got four different things. Um,
2: yeah it but... gets a little bit tiring and overwhelming and I think the pandemic if anything even though it did put things at maybe a, um, a slower pace and and maybe halted a couple of things it also did like remind us of like what's important and how, you know, being busy all the time might not be the only way to be in life.
1: Exactly, exactly. Like, I want to, yeah, I want to just be able to take care of myself, pay my bills, you know, um, invest in myself, invest in, you know, this business that I'll build, um, be able to you know, help my family out, stuff like that. Like, I want to be able to do that. um, And I'm just trying to strategize about how I can go about achieving that without having to work, like, 80 hours a week (laughs) or something crazy like that. Um, So I think it just – I would just have to kind of narrow down, like, an idea and then focus on, like, you know, a very particular – business model that would allow me to generate enough, um, revenue, um, to be able to kind of reach my goals and take care of myself. So I'm still in the brainstorming process. Um, but I'm like, you know, with all the resources that, um, I'm privileged to have. And I know that's not something that everyone has access to. I'm like, I, I would rather, um, I want to work smart and not burn myself out by working
2: too hard. Hard, yeah. <laughs> no, working. Good. work smart, work smart, not hard. I, I believe in that. Well, I think yes. that you're definitely the kind of person who has uh, the focus and the capacity to figure it out and definitely achieve your dream for 2022. Um, just before we go, can you let my listeners know where they can find you, how they can listen to the podcast?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, so you can follow the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So we are on, um, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, Stitcher, YouTube, SoundCloud. Um, Yeah, so you can listen there, and it's just "Dear Diaspora." Um, If you type that in, it should pop up. (laughs) Um, And then oh,
2: it pops up even on Google search. (laughs) It's the first thing that pops up. (laughs) Job well done.
1: (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Um, And so yes, on social media, you can find me. um, Like my personal account is at ndulwa n d u u l -l 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 w a. If you want to follow me there. I, I don't do too much, um, on that account, but you're more than welcome to follow me. Um, and then, um, I'm the most active on the podcast account at Dear Diaspora. Um, so that's where you can find all my, you know, me sharing, whatever my opinions on different topics, um, sharing, uh, you know, really informative, uh, kind of content um that's focused on africa focus on the diaspora um so yeah at dear diaspora um what else did you ask <laughs> no that was it that's okay. just all we need to know everything else will be
2: in the show notes as well so that everyone can take a look and find the appropriate handles to follow you i just want to say thank you so much for having a conversation with me today it was nice to also uh, catch up a little bit and see where you're at and what's going on in your life.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, thank you for having me. Um, it was great catching up um, and you know, such great questions that kind of had me reflecting on um, <laughs> things that are necessary, I think, to reflect on. And yeah, thank you everybody for listening.
0: Check the show notes for links to Ndulloa's work. Before we go, show a little love for your favorite podcast on Anchor by sending us a round of applause, giving us a star, and leaving us a voice message on Anchor telling me what you thought of the episode. Who knows, you could get a shout out on the next episode. Remember, we're now on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Leelabee so you can donate and help me fundraise to buy better equipment as well as film equipment to turn this podcast from audio to visual. That's it for this podcast. Remember to look out for more episodes and continue to join the conversation. Until next time.